Painter, we're back. Oh, baby! We are back. We are in the same zip code for the first time in a week. We are in the same room recording the, 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 the lovely, the palatial Auburn Observer Studio here in Parts Unknown at the Sharples compound. A lot of empty wall now that I'm looking around my room. I think I could uh, I could up the ante on the decor. We're gonna try to uh, continue to tweak our audio to make it sound a little bit better. We got mics and I think we got a lot to talk about. It's game week. Finally, Ugh. finally we're here. Game week for Auburn football, Auburn, Kentucky this Saturday at 11 on the SEC network, which is weird because like, this is probably the best game in the SEC this week. Yeah, when they first unveiled the schedule, that was my thought. I mean, I know everyone was talking about. Yeah, it's. I don't. Th I don't think. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm of the opinion that this is going to be a really good game uh, between these two teams, and there's a lot to dig into there. Also, later on in the show, uh, we will uh, we'll talk about uh, some Auburn in the NFL. Cam Newton, man, Sunday night game against the Seahawks was was unreal. Some bad news on the Auburn and the NFL front. We uh, we were really torn up about the uh, C.J. Uzama injury because that, I mean, he was going to be so good this year. You saw how much like LSU used like Dad Moss last season. They just paid him. They yeah. didn't do that for nothing. Yeah, exactly. So, um, And also like A.J. Green, you know, he's still a very viable. I'll be curious to see how it turns out if he's a, a true. Is he not number two on that team now? He's not the number one anymore, is he? Either way, whether he's the one of the two, like CJ factored in, and like he had just gotten paid, and man, yeah. just a nice guy. This is the Auburn Observer Podcast. In case you aren't aware, Justin Ferguson, Painter Sharpless here with you in the flesh across from each other for the first time in a week. How was how was the trip to the uh, to the frozen north? Man, so the weather here, at least we're in the Auburn Opelika area, has been great since we got back, but it felt like this all week. And you mentioned this when I was up there in Pennsylvania, but uh, we did dodge all that nasty stuff with the hurricane. And we hope you guys that were impacted by that were minimally impacted. And if you're listening to this and had any of that going on, thank you, because I know your life's busy, but uh, it was, I would say, a win, all things considered. It's a good week to, you know, kind of recharge before we get into gear game week mode and that's that's where we're at and if you're listening to this remember the rest of this week and the early part of next week on the auburn observer absolutely free last episode painter we said it and it was true we were gonna hit a thousand by the time we recorded again and man we are well past a thousand at this point so really shout out to everyone for for supporting us continue uh to rate and review and subscribe everywhere you do your your podcast at we are working on google podcast that has been the long hang up for some yeah that's reason. my fault uh, we got that we thought ironed out not true didn't yeah. get it ironed out <laughs> so working on that for those of you who pointed it out thank you and appreciate your patience my apologies for sure and this isn't me just being an apple elitist like i want <laughs> like i want to be able to be on these platforms uh, i pivoted to spotify recently while we're plugging i'm a large. big spotify guy i like the 1.2 speed you said you prefer to have people talking to you normally i do to each person. their own baby well, I'm glad you brought up Spotify because next week, so this next Thursday, once we get into full game week mode at, at the Auburn Observer, we're going to have a Thursday podcast. Thursday, Friday, we'll, we'll figure out the exact time of later on Thursday or early on Friday. That's going to be our preview podcast for games. This week, since it's the first one and both of them are free, we're going to do that. But that Thursday, next week, October 1st, is going to be the first day of the paywall. We're going to have a paywalled feed for people who are subscribed. If you aren't subscribed and you just listen to this podcast, thanks for continuing to listen to the podcast. We hope you subscribe, but hey, you want an Auburn podcast for, for free, you will still get one episode of that per week. That will most likely be the review, game review episodes. 
I'm glad you brought Spotify though, because Spotify Spotify has to basically control how they put it on you know their app. Basically, if you subscribe, you will be able to get a feed that you can put into pretty much every podcast app except for Spotify. Yeah, they're weird about it. There's a podcast that I enjoy listening to. They have a similar format. I have two. And yeah. I listen to everything on Spotify except the premium episode. Mm-hmm. I'll use a different app. I think I typically use Apple, but it's yeah, like whatever. Same. It doesn't matter. It's just that Spotify won't let me listen to that one premium episode. Keep all that in mind. But the rest of this week, AuburnObserver.com. 100% free, both your podcasts for this week and all of your stories, including uh, The Film Room, which is where we're going to start off today. Posted earlier on Monday at The Observer. Man, it was good to be back. It was good to be back. Um, I know uh, I I know I know kind of did some film, filmy, statsy kind of stories earlier with Roger McCurry and, and, and Anthony Schwartz, but to get this one back felt really, really good. And I appreciate everybody who has, uh, who has shouted it out because this is a, this is a whole lot of fun. This Riding a, a bike. Riding a bike. I was nervous because not only this is the first time I've done this in a while, but number two, like there's so much of like run fits and defenses and like that I don't understand. And I kind of get nervous every time I write about defense because A, I don't know it as well. And B, like I'm just afraid that like Kevin Steele is going to like, going to like call me and be like, you idiot. Like he hasn't done that before and he hasn't done that anybody know of. But like he feels like the guy he would just be like, now listen, here's why all, here's why everything you just said was wrong. I'm but. trying to decide which way he would go, taking time out of his day to point out that you were wrong or just being like, Man, whatever. Just, like, let him think that. I can't decide which route he would go. He defends his guys, though, man. And that's, that's the one fair. thing. He's, very, he's, like, fiercely loyal to his players, which is what you love to see in a coach. You don't want to have a coach go out there and just be like, oh, this kid screwed up, and that's his problem. Like, he takes the blame on himself. So I think there's some times when, like, people might get critical of certain players. He, I know of situations in the past where Took he has, like, personally. made sure to stick up for his guys. But strategically, man, I, I ain't got it so, as, well as, as well as a lot of other people do. But I'm trying to get better, and I think this was kind of – I can talk a little bit more about offensive line play, which is going to be important this year because um, not only from the arm perspective, but man, this Kentucky offensive line is uh, nasty. Like this is a group that is real, real nasty. Before we get too far into that, and obviously we want to go to the Kentucky game. Remember when Deshaun Watson had the good interaction with a reporter about a year ago sometime? And, you know, it was about a minute, minute and a half long explanation. They're getting these questions, and I think sometimes it's almost like you're not looking at the same thing we're looking at. We're playing a different game in real time, by the way. Like we don't have the benefit of looking back and seeing what did and didn't work. And I think generally, like, there's all these considerations that as a fan, you just can't know, or a media member, like, what factors in that moment they're thinking about. And look, that doesn't excuse coaches from making mistakes right. or any kind of criticism. But also, like, to your point, I think it is part of the reason why sometimes they can't help but roll their eyes when they get some of the criticism. I mean, the cover coverages are insane to me because teams and, and defense coordinators have gotten so much more creative in disguising things and, and you know when you start doing stuff like combo coverage where some some people are playing zone and some people are playing man and then it's kind of like a matchup zone also in basketball and there's you know there's a bunch of different things and and like what does the safety do in this situation what a corner does in this situation and then you have a quarterback which is why it's like when people really criticize quarterbacks these guys they make bad passes and whatever like like physical talent i can get but like mentally like it it, you got bullets flying there's car crashes happening in front of you on every single play and then you have to in split seconds recognize what's going on in front of you know what your guys are doing to defeat that and know like okay right here this is where i go and that's some of the stuff you want to see the improvement of from Bo Nix this year and like that is where you say the sophomore surge comes, that he feels a little more confident in this offense, locked in, and see how much Chad Morris and the way Auburn is supposed to take a step forward and upgrading that passing game. 
maybe that's the move there for Auburn. Like maybe that's going to be the thing that kind of unlocks the whole perspective. There's so much about the offense that we want to talk about. Maybe we'll get to that a little bit later in this week. Maybe the Thursday or Friday episode, we will we will get to that because that's the one thing everybody's paid attention to is this offensive line, the quarterback situation, all that. There's so much of the offensive line we don't know yet, and they haven't put out the depth chart yet. And it sounded like that was still very much a big work in progress. The way it sounds to me, it sounds like that left tackle spot, there just has been some absences. And it's like, you ask about, okay, who's doing well in practice? You ask a player, you ask whoever, and they're like, oh, well, you got Nick Brahms. And it's like, Ombre Darius. And then you start Tayshon and then and then uh, Brandon Council. And you're like, okay, there's one spot that you're not, you're not mentioning here. And I think that's partly because those guys just haven't been available all the time because they've been mixing around. We- so I want to go back to that real quick. And on one of our previous podcasts, yeah. and like, this isn't me saying that this is what's going to happen. I don't know. Let me just say that much but i've always felt like this was troxel's job to lose and so like i feel like that's ultimately what we're gonna see Mm -hmm. but at the same time to your point available yeah and it's like doesn't instill confidence and i think we'll probably get to why it is this game i think you think it could be tricky for auburn oh yeah for sure this offense line is going to be a work in progress like the fact that we got to last week and they're still trying to figure out spots there it's like i think there's going to be have to be some patience but he said this is this group has a chance to really grow week after week and i do i i think the the skill set of these guys that they've got up front i think if you're waiting for auburn to unlock that like okay can they run the ball effectively i think the type of players they got up front can do that it's just a matter of learning how to play next to each other and getting that chemistry and that experience that they just don't have and you only get that from you know Malzahn says it all the time. There's nothing like experience. There's nothing like in-game experience. And like, they're going to have to get that early so that by the end of the year, they might be a formidable offensive line. I think early on, I'm not saying they're going to be bad. I mean, they could they could surprise me and be real good. I think it's going to be a major work in progress. Predicting records is always futile given there's so many unknowns and injuries and things evolved that you couldn't have taken into account. Right. And this year certainly seems that yeah. way more than most. I am feeling though as if Auburn getting to 2-0 and bodes really well for them and it's not a given that they get to beat either Kentucky or Georgia and especially Georgia but that's getting ahead of myself if they can go 2-0 and beating what I think is a tough matchup in week one against Kentucky and a slightly more talented Georgia team mm-hmm. the schedule while difficult probably shapes up pretty nicely for them to have a great year but these first two games to me, are pretty critical in all that. And the Kentucky game is one that I think a lot of people outside of Auburn won't be paying that much attention to because it's like, oh, it's just Kentucky and Auburn should win. It is a ranked versus ranked game, one of the few of the weekend. But do you get the sense that people are giving this much notice? Like, for the most part, there's sort of a ho-hum feeling about week one in the SEC, and I get that. Like, it's not the greatest week of games, but I think people are sort of passing off this Kentucky-Auburn matchup. Yeah, I'll say this. I think that this is going to be a popular upset special. I know Auburn opened... Somewhere around a touchdown. Some offshore books had him up to 10. I think it's 8 or 9 right now for, for a lot of the, the, the Vegas books. I think it's going to be a tight affair. And, like, this is this is going to be a close game against a, it's a, against a good team. I'm looking at it, and, we, and I referenced it in the mailbag last Friday. If you look at the SP Plus probability, Auburn is expected in this 10-game schedule 6.2 wins as they're expected. So you can look at that as 6 or 7 is probably where they're going to be. I mean, this schedule doesn't do them a ton of favors outside of Arkansas. They do not have a game where their win probability is larger than 80%. Uh, Mississippi State, 78%. Ole Miss is 72%. And then the rest of them are in the 50s and the 60s, or in the case of Alabama and and Georgia, in the 30s, because those are better teams on paper this year, and you're playing them on the road. This is probably a 7-3 and three team, and, it, and you know, I got a question in the mailbag, what does that look like? It depends on who they lose to and who's available and whatnot, but, like, 
feels kind of like a nine and three year, which I think if Auburn can go seven and three, they have a quote unquote three lost year, but show marked improvement on the offensive end. That's a win in such a weird year. And then you hope next year we're over this pandemic. We, we, you know, we get to have more of like a normal college football season. And in that case, you feel like in 2021 Auburn's going to be is going to be set for to, to do some really big things with all they've right. got coming back on offense what, and defense. What will feel predictable is if Auburn does go seven and three, and the Auburn fan base will yeah. be frustrated because it will feel very much like an eight and four or nine and three type season. And if you go this route and Auburn looks more competitive in games offensively and they're you know looking closer to that 2013-2014 offense where the defense you know doesn't have to carry so much of the workload, there will be this similar sentiment almost predictably of like, oh, it's just another Gus Malzahn year. But I think what is important is looking at the junior year of Bo Nix and Owen Popo in that class. And like I understand the fan base side that will say, well, you're just looking at moral victories if the offense is better, but they don't win the games. I think that has to be the, you know, we talk about yeah. what the expectations are from Alzon led programs at Auburn. And it's like, can you be in an SEC title game about every three to four years? And if they win in 2017 and are back in 2021, like that's on pace. I mean, there's an argument to say that if they go seven and three this year, it's like going 10 and two in other seasons, because there are three automatic wins that you don't get. Even in the worst Malzahn years, they win three three non-conference games every single year. They most of the time they win four, but North Carolina didn't look great. There's enough reason to say Auburn, like, like every game on here is losable, I think, except for Arkansas. Like, I don't see them losing to Arkansas. Um, for a couple of reasons. For, for a bunch of reasons. I'm pretty sure, if you look at it, that Auburn can win all of these, except for, like, Alabama, you can just be like, well, they're going to have to do what they did last year. They're going to have to catch some breaks and, you know, play really, really well, especially on the road. We don't know what Alabama's going to look like. This, this season is so unpredictable. So the, the fact that we get into a year where, Auburn, I say they could probably go seven and three. They could go nine and one. Like there is a there is a there is a world. I probably like a, I don't know, especially with the amount of talent LSU's lost. Like if you played this scenario out twenty times, yeah, I think there's two or three scenarios, maybe two scenarios out of twenty where Auburn wins nine games. Like so, I think it's very possible. And we don't even know what's going on at Georgia because now it looks like Dewan Mathis is going to be the starter. See, I see, I see this team as overachieving and, and like getting to. Eight wins. I, I think what I want to happen is nine. We were talking about this before we started. Like you're a little bit more pragmatic about your Auburn mm. win losses yeah. than I am. And so like this time last year, I got excited and like gave Auburn probably one more win than they should have had. And I think I'm doing that here, but I think realistically, I do expect this team to overachieve. But like right now, with that, with the information I have, I won't be surprised if Auburn is able to steal one against Georgia, which is why I think it puts them in a good spot. Or Alabama. I mean, let's yeah, be honest. Like, yeah. like, in a weird year, you could steal one against Alabama, too. Well, and, and we don't know what LSU's going to look like, so I don't know no. if that's a given. But anyway, all that to say... I, the I fact th- you get A&M and Tennessee, two teams that people think are going to be better than they were last year at home, also bodes well. But you got to go, like, there's there's some tricky ones there. You go to both of the Mississippi schools, which who knows what they're going to look like in year one of, of, of their systems. And then South Carolina, which, I mean, South Carolina, I don't think, like, I don't think Will Muschamp is the guy for the job at South Carolina. I think they need somebody else. But, like, they, they beat Georgia last year. Like, this is You'll it. see flashes. It's fr- yeah. And, like, they recruit moderately well. 
yeah. by South Carolina standards. So it's like in a, in a smaller way, a similar situation, I think, to when all the gush chatter gets started about. Yeah. It's like, yeah. who is who is Carolina going to get that you're confident is going to be exponentially better than Muschamp? Yeah, man. But if I like, I think if you look at it just from Mass P Plus, there's only two teams ranked at, rated ahead of them. A&M, LSU are going to be tough games, but they're both at home. And on paper, you look like you could be a better team than them this year. The, the other thing to keep in mind, and if you want to be, if you want to go full Barner this year <laughs> and say this could be it, like if you're going positive version of Barner and not like Fire Gus type of type of Barner. like 2017 back half of the year Barner? I'm of the opinion that like Bo Nix being a returning starter quarterback is going to be so huge this year. If he can stay healthy... I mean, there's not very many teams in this league that have returning starters or quarterbacks. That's where I keep going back and forth. I'm like, man, I really, again, and like some of this I think is my own projection of like what I want to happen. But like I keep thinking to myself, he's going to be really good. The offensive line can't be much worse than what it was in stretches of 18 and 19. But then when I think about that, I'm like, given how weird this is all set up, I don't know if that's true, Painter. Like at least the offense had flashes, especially in pass blocking last year, where it was like, all right, like competent, whatever. I I don't know. I I keep having to convince myself to tone it down a little bit. I mean, you should just look at the schedule. They play Kentucky. They're they're getting a quarterback who, who started for them in 2018 but is coming off of a knee injury. Georgia's got a new starter. Arkansas's, I don't even know what's what going on in Arkansas. South Carolina's got a new starter. Ole Miss, I believe, is still rolling with John Rice Plumley, but it's a, new, it's a new system. But yes, Nick's had a better year than Plumley, no matter what anyone will tell you. He yeah, had a like whether, than, it's not a given that he's going to... Rice could run the ball well, but he could not throw it. Yeah, and I, and I still don't think it's he a given. He was a worse passer than Nix was last year, and everybody wants to wants to rag on Nix for his numbers. While while I expect Plumlee to start more games than Corral this year, I think Corral will probably play and like may end up, just like we saw at the end of the season last year, may end up playing over Plumlee at some point. So like that's a mess completely. LSU's got a new starter. Yep. Mississippi State's got a new starter. Tennessee's returning a starter in Garantano. We'll see. Like, I don't want to like rag on him too much, especially they've got given, a freshman they really like too. Yeah, and given like 2018, where he just like played perhaps the best game or one of the best games of his college career, I, I guess I can't. But I mean, yeah. I, I don't feel that confidently about him. Alabama has got a kind of new starter, but you know they're going to be fine. I mean, so, were it not for a fluky pick six and then just a bad pick six, like he made a bad throw. To, he had a really good game that game. Yeah, absolutely. And um, he, then he turned around and played super well in the bowl game against Michigan. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Mac Jones. So. Uh, Texas A&M has Kalamon, which we've we've established that Kalamon like is a pretty clear ceiling. We'll see. We'll see how far he's improved this season. But yeah, I mean, I think that that is one of those things where you put all that together and like having Nix is going to be an advantage. Just how much does he get to take a step forward in a new offense and and B. How much does that offensive line help him? Speaking of offensive lines, switch over to Kentucky in that film room. Um, they call him the big blue wall, and like it, it's fitting. Last season, this Kentucky offensive line, number five in the country, um, according to Pro Football Focus, they were semifinalists for the Joe Moore Award, uh, top, uh, top 20, 30 in the country, according to Football Outsiders, and pretty much every offensive line metric that you can find in, in run blocking. Um, they only lost one player from that, that from that starting lineup in Logan Stenberg. Landon Young and Darian Kennard could be two of the best offensive tackles in the league. Drake Jackson is the best center in the league, according to a lot of people. And PFF also has him as the most valuable offensive line in college football in uh, basically their version of war, um, the baseball stat that they, that they convert to the college game. This offensive line is really really good like might be the best one Auburn plays this season besides Alabama we'll see what Georgia has they've got some they got some dudes up front but you know 
we talked about when the schedule got flipped. You had an opportunity to kind of ease yourself in. You get to play Alcorn State, work out some of those bugs. Now you Not don't anymore. do that. And even then, like, you would play North Carolina, then you play Ole Miss. Like, Kentucky was supposed to be later on down the line. Now you're going to play one of the best offensive lines you face, one of the best running games you fa- you'll face, boom, week one, without Derrick Brown, without Marlon Davidson. And so here's your challenge, week one. I think this is the game. I think this is the game in the, inside the game right here. How much can Kentucky run the ball against an Auburn defense that under Kevin Steele has really slammed the door, especially last season, against running games? However, they're missing two of the best players that have ever come through the program uh, on the defensive front. How much do they kind of uh, – what side wins out? Because Auburn's played some really good de- offensive lines and have, and have played really well. Kentucky's offensive line, I mean, we'll go through some of the numbers – Insane production last season. However, against Florida and Georgia, two teams that were on Auburn's level, Georgia a little bit, a little bit better in terms of run, run stopping last season. Shut them down um, for the most part. I think you know, it was 150 yards between those two games uh, in average. They didn't score on the ground. We know what Kentucky's going to do, and we know what Terry Wilson wants to do because the thing about Kentucky is when you had to move Lynn Bowden from wide receiver to quarterback, and then you run basically like last season. They had it was like twenty seven percent of their plays last season were zone reads, and and like when Bowden was in that it just took off like that was the base of their game. What does that mean? Well, Terry Wilson comes back. He was an okay quarterback in twenty eighteen. He was a game manager. Um, you know, he didn't make big plays through the air, but they ran the ball well. They controlled the ball well. I don't think that they won a lot of. Uh games against good teams in 2018 but they did win 10 games didn't they is that the season they won double digit games yeah they beat they beat florida and they beat penn state but the but you know they they had some they had some tougher losses that year as well even still it was a really 10 wins in a kentucky wildcat football uniform is nothing to be sneezed at monster year for them the problem there is, is that they have Terry Wilson coming back. Their wide receivers are so inexperienced. So that, that's in terms right. of you're, you're going right where I can tell, at least where I think you're going, which is like I have set a worry about this defense when it's not good. And you bring up some good points as to why Auburn's hands will, in fact, be very full yeah. against this run game, and why like Kentucky's going to get it like it's filled to an extent. But isn't the move here just to say, Terry Wilson, what do you have? Yeah, I Like, think isn't so. that the move at this point? Because it's like, I think to some extent, like, you know what Kentucky's going to do, and they'll probably still do it pretty well, even against a, what I think will be a, a good run defense for Auburn. But, like, don't you just make it no questions asked? Like, Terry Wilson, go win this game for, uh, for Kentucky's offense. Yeah, I think that's what it's got to be. Because for Auburn, I mean, on paper, people might say, eh. You know, that, that, that secondary replacing all those guys, Auburn's like, no, we got this. I mean, McCreary An outsider's and perspective, and Sherwood the, and Tug. the commentators, I bet, on Saturday will probably talk a lot about that secondary. And But I don't think that they will have been in some of those press conferences with Kevin Steele where they've gotten the vibe that, yes, it is true on paper we're replacing a lot, but we don't feel that way. Well, and then on top of that, like, you're not even covering a George Pickens in this game. You're not covering, like, an LSU crop of receivers. This is like as we talk about it's kind of positive and negative or you know i guess it's all perspective if you want to do half full half empty at this point um with this defense because yes no Derek brown no marlon davidson all right you play in one of the best offensive lines of face all year on the other side that secondary has got some new faces in it and some guys are going to be playing more snaps this year however 
Kentucky does not look like a team that's going to challenge you a ton through the air. Terry Wilson averaged seven yards of completion. Um, seven yards of completion while completing 67% of his passes. So it tells you some short gains. I mean, like, that's what you're kind of... had 11 touchdowns and eight picks in 2018. Last year, because they had to run the ball so much, their top returning receiver is Josh Ali, who had 23 catches for 233 yards. <laughs> there are four different Auburn receivers that have more production than that. Needless to say, the pass game was not emphasized last year. And they didn't have to because they because it worked. And, like, they hammer the ball right at them. And the thing about this, this, this Kentucky offensive front is that they are so good at zone blocking. And we've talked about this in the past. The difference between zone and man blocking is zone, you block a zone, and man, you you know, it's gap. It's, you know, you play it, and then you usually lead somebody in that way. Zone blocking, which you see a lot, is like double teams. And then, all right, when that guy is on the double team, then you go to the next level. Kentucky, you watch them on film, they get to the next level in a hurry. And they've got some mean physical dudes that will just knock the snot out, I especially expect, that Drake, Drake Jackson at center. I expect Kentucky and their run game to have what will statistically be an above-average game against a good Auburn run defense. I do think that will happen. I yeah. don't think it will be enough. Like what I think, I think that they will run that effectively enough in the scenario I envision it, but not be able to move the ball into the end zone because I don't think they're going to be balanced enough. I, I don't see how they're going to be able to pass the ball through the air, even though I think they're going to be successful to an extent running the ball. Yeah, they, they run zone super well. They get to the second level. They got running backs last season, three running backs. Uh, and we've mentioned them before. The three running backs last season, um, uh, Seam Rose, Cavassier Smoke, and Chris Rodriguez Jr., all had over 500 yards last season, all had at least, uh, exactly six touchdowns apiece on the ground. They just rotate, and it's like they, they do not give you a moment's notice, or a moment's notice, a moment's wait and, and in relief, I should say, in the backfield um, because they'll just keep rotating them in and keep them fresh and, and get ready to go. It's a really good rotation in that aspect. And then you combine it with some zone blocking. They're, they're experienced. When those guys are up front, it's kind of the thing where you say a little bit about Auburn. Those guys know from playing with each other the last couple of seasons, like I know when my guy has it next to me and I know when to go to the second level and I can know when to get, when to pull off that double team. I know when you might need a little bit more help here. They've got that rhythm down. And so this is where it comes into me where this matchup comes down to two aspects. We know what Kentucky's going to do. They're going to run the ball. They're going to run zone uh, a lot. They'll, they'll mix in some power in there. They've got a quarterback who can make some plays with his legs. He's not Lynn Bowden, but nobody is uh, running the ball. It's going to come down to two areas. Number one, Auburn's linebackers. And number two, a guy like Tyrone Trisdale still having him. And the linebackers are key because the big thing about zone is what makes a zone play work is that offensive line gets into that, that offensive line gets into that second level. They hit those linebackers and they can make big plays. Auburn can counter with, okay, two of our best players we've ever had are gone up front. However, K.J. Britt was the number one run-stopping linebacker in America last season, according to Pro Football Focus. So Kobe McClain, spoiler alert, was not very far behind him in terms of in, in terms of his production last season. In terms they, were of the heartbeat, they were heartbeat of a defense that, like, they got stops. And, like, we talk about Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson being run-stoppers, and that is true. That is definitely true, but, like, those are the guys that made the plays because everybody was so worried about blocking Brown and blocking Davidson that those guys got free reign to run up and hit people. And now their instincts and their reactions are going to have to be, be, be key because Kentucky is going to try to get into that second level and take you out. And so can you read and react and, and play well? And like 
there's no better player to have in this matchup statistically in college football than K.J. Britt. Like, K.J. Britt is the most valuable player you can get there because no one was better at cutting down runs. And like I said, Zacoby McClain was not very far behind him if you look at the numbers. So two other players, I think also then, it sounds like Auburn is in a great position given we know Kentucky wants to run the ball that much and will regardless probably of some of the looks Mm -hmm. that they get from Auburn because it'll be effective. Papo plays in a different way. You also mentioned Sherwood recently, and we talked about him as someone who has put on some weight and is moving around a good bit and is – you know, anyway, it was McCreary that called him basically Isaiah Simmons. Yeah. So where do they factor in given that there's a bit of a different role for those players in the run stoppers you just mentioned? Yeah, if you're Jeremy and Sherwood, you were, you were the box safety a lot of times for Auburn last year. He can move everywhere. He can play safety. He can play corner. He can play linebacker if you need him in a pinch. And like that, when they compared him to Isaiah Simmons, when, when McCreary compared him to Isaiah Simmons, it was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because this dude, is Kevin Steele called him the, the one of the best tacklers he's ever seen in the secondary. He's all the way up to 220 pounds now, you know, on uh, at safety. This is a guy that's going to have to come down into the box and, and make some plays. And, of course, Auburn likes to mix, max, mix, uh, mix and match. <laughs> wow. Um, mix and match at safety. So, Smoke Monday is going to have to put in that work as well. But, yeah, I think having Sherwood come down and, like, being such a sure tackler, because what Kentucky's going to do is they want to get in that second level, make a man miss, and say, all right, I'm gone. They're such a big play threat at running back. They they led the nation, I believe, last year in 30-yard runs. They got to – they like, Auburn's got to get those guys in. And so when we know that the threat of the pass isn't as strong, can Auburn have McCreary and the other corners and Tut and, and on an island, maybe just going to leave one guy over the top, and just like bring bring them in down and run support them more often. That's a good that's a good point because like that's a that's something about their games that Auburn really really like. Sure, tackling is going to be key in this game, and and we've seen how bad tackling has been in some college games earlier this year. Malzahn said they've tackled really really well, and I kind of got that same vibe from Steele uh, when we talked to him a couple weeks ago. Listeners should roll their eyes a bit because you could apply this to every game, but like I still think because Auburn's going to be better essentially across the board in almost every phase, even where I think Kentucky has a good and statistically what will be an effective running game against a good Auburn run defense. If Auburn doesn't turn the ball over a lot and it avoids, for instance, like what happened in the Florida game last year where basically you just had two huge plays where you either missed a tackle or there were multiple broken tackles, I don't think that Kentucky can win this game. Mm -hmm. But if Auburn's sloppy, if they can't tackle, if they allow a couple of big plays, exactly, then yes, like this is a horrific week one matchup because I think you're pointing out that Kentucky will probably have a good run game. It just they know will. what they're going to do. They're, they're yeah. very experienced. One of the most experienced teams in the country on both sides of the ball. They know what they're so bringing. So how in. much does it matter that they're going to be to some extent one dimensional, even if it's by design? And then on top of it, will Auburn be able to limit those big plays? Because if so, I have a hard time believing Kentucky's going to have three sustained drives for 75 yards where they can get into the end zone. I don't think that happens. I think that they need big touchdown plays in order to win the game. I, like if Kentucky gets to 24 points in this game, I'd be surprised given that it's the first game of the year right. and that I expect a lot out of Auburn's defense. Right. Yeah. I'll, uh, uh, I'll just say like, I think the, the part that gives me pause in this game is just the fact that Kentucky's going to run the ball. They're going to be effective. And I think, I think they're just going to work the clock and just limit the chances for Auburn's own offense. And like, I think Auburn wins this game, but like the problem runs into is like, 
is that offensive line does that offensive line struggle because Kentucky's defense there's no Josh Allen on this defensive front like there's no big guy that you've got to really watch out for on this Kentucky defense this year at, at this moment from what we've seen there's no star player but they're experienced they know what they're doing and they're going to play against an offensive line that is still going to be working out a lot of kinks early on uh you mentioned Popo and I want to go back to him Popo statistically last season one wasn't as big of a run stopper because yeah, it's not his game as much as it is running around doing doing things in coverage. But, like, if you're worried about cutting down big plays, have the dude who's faster than most of the people you've got, you know, uh, on the field and, and put him at linebacker. He's going to have to be big in that one uh, game as well. So, I think you, you look at Auburn's defensive line and talk, can they be strong up front without – like, Derrick Brown changes games. Marlon Davidson changes games. It's, it's, just, it's just easy. Like, because if you single-blocked him – you know, at any point, you couldn't. Like, I mean, you just about like couldn't. I suppose. Yeah, like maybe just, there was a handful of offensive linemen that could do it occasionally. But it's just so hard. So when you're, how do you replace that? But I think Auburn's counter is like, all right, well, if our defensive line can keep those guys engaged, you know, one of the things that they mentioned, what Steele mentioned, is a guy that keeps them keeps linemen off the linebacker, off the linebackers. That's key, and that is for Tyrone Truesdale. Tyrone Truesdale got a ton of praise from Kevin Steele recently. Called him a dude who doesn't make mental errors. He can, quote, hold the point, command double teams, and keep people out of the linebackers. He's going to be key. Because last year we saw the wow plays from Marlon Davidson and Derrick Brown. Even Derrick Brown at a position where sometimes it's hard to notice a defensive tackle. KJ Britt. Uh, yeah, yeah Britt will pop plays. anybody but right. watch a play where Auburn makes a huge play against the run. Tyrone Truesdale is usually handling his man really, really well. Or... Taking on a double team and creating space for everybody else. Can he be that guy again? Because I, I put it, I put the gif of it in the in the film room. The fourth down stop that really helped Auburn win the game against Oregon in the opener last year. Shane Lemieux was an All-American at left guard for Oregon last season. And on the one of the biggest plays of the game, Tyron Truesdale has him three yards in the backfield to the point where Oregon's running back doesn't know where to go. And then Auburn swallows it on the other end. It was a Kobe McLean and K.J. Britt and those guys. Year four, Truesdale. What does that look like in terms of run stopping? We know so many, so much, so many people put attention on Derrick Brown last year, but man, Truesdale is just solid. He's consistent. Like like Steele said, he doesn't make a ton of mistakes, and it's just that's the kind of guy you want. Pair him with whoever. I was on Locked On Auburn with Zach last Friday, and we I was talking. I was like, I don't even know what they do at defensive tackle next to Truesdale because there's so many dudes that they like. Marquise Burks, your guy, Dre Butler. <laughs> Jay Hardy is, is done well. Zachivis Walker can play on the inside. Then you got Jaron Handy can play on the inside. Colby Wooden can even play on the inside. Like, all these guys can move around. Pair that with a dude in Truesdale who doesn't make a lot of mistakes is going to just take up a lot of attention, create a lot of a, a lot of double teams. You start to think, all right, if Kentucky wants to hammer the ball down the middle on the inside, Auburn's going to be ready for it. More so than maybe just say, oh, well, they don't have Derrick Brown this year. It's going to be tough for them to slide on the run. They don't have Derrick Brown, but they have the other piece that was the heart of that defense, and they got all those linebackers that have for Chandler Wooten back, but you got your three top ones back this season. The, Kentucky's going to be a tough matchup in that regard. Like one, like we said, one of the best offensive lines, one of the best running games you're going to face all year. But Auburn is prepared, and I would dare say the strength of Auburn's team this year is still going to be that defensive front, which is wild to think after losing Derrick Brown and Marlon Davidson. The problem there is, is that it's Ryan Garner, it's Travis Williams, it's Kevin Steele. And you know how they rotate, and you know how they develop. They're going to be fine there. It's just a matter of how quickly do they get out of the out of the uh, off the blocks this year after an off season. But so weird for everybody. 
I expect this run game to be uh, one of the best in the country just because that's where we've come to expect the group to be mm-hmm. under Steele and Gardner. And I expect because of Kentucky's commitment to the run game and because they're going to be good at it, that statistically they will, when we look back, have had an above-average day, that they will at least get past whatever average Auburn sets for itself. But I just don't expect that to be adequate. I don't expect it to be enough. I guess maybe it will be adequate, but it won't be enough because I think it will play into what is, like you said, perhaps the most sure strength of Auburn's team this season. Is that a a fair point to make, given the consistency along Rodney Gardner defensive lines and given what we know is the strength of the linebacker group. Like you could say KJ Britt could improve some in pass coverage, but there's really not a whole lot of room for improvement and and run defense for the linebackers. I think that Kentucky will have an effective day, but I just think it's not enough given how talented Auburn will be. And that I think that they will continue. uh, I think being that one dimensional will be problematic. Yeah, it, it definitely will be. Um, like I, I think Kentucky will run it to some extent effectively, and maybe even at times it might be frustrating. But I think it, as the season goes on, Auburn fans will watch as Kentucky team run the ball effectively against other good defenses, like Georgia, for instance, and it will be like, oh, all right, not the end of the world. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it'll be a good run, like a good team. I think it'll, I think they'll be a good team. I've, I'm just, my thing is, is that can they? Can they hold on to the ball long enough to frustrate Auburn's offense into, you know, getting them some spots where they don't have time of possession or not? And if Auburn's still working out a lot of kinks, like we said, how much does that affect? I think it's going to be a close game. But, like, this feels like a lot of other games we've seen from Auburn in the past where, like, the line might be close. But it's like, this is a, Auburn's a better team than Kentucky. They might, Kentucky might have more experience. Kentucky might have more, you know, reps together. But, like, if Auburn can play their game and play up to their potential, they can win big. Or maybe not big, but, like, win solidly. I think you can liken it to sort of what we saw in the Texas A&M game last year. Yes. Where it feels yes. like Auburn's in control, but if they make a mistake at the wrong time or don't handle their business down the stretch, like, you will allow a window for Kentucky to either come back or to at least uh, have an opportunity to win. But I don't think there's much question, given Auburn's recruiting talent and given what the strength of the team is this year, that you can feel super confident that, this matchup sets up well for Kentucky, even though I think they'll run the ball well against other good SEC teams. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I think that's the that's the breakdown of that side of the matchup. We'll talk a lot about the offense for Auburn and this Kentucky defense later in the week. But yeah. So uh, it's like basically you're looking at Britt, McLean, you know what to expect out Truesdale. of them. And then Truesdale, it's like, don't forget about him. Like it's easy to because he's not named Eric Brown and you kind of got spoiled. But like, sort of almost like those players are you said that's the game within the game i think it's the game within the game because if auburn can limit kentucky's ground game and not let them hit big plays or you know really really control control the action there like if auburn has a really good game in that run defense in week one without Derek brown without marlon davidson like get ready because this defense is going to be fantastic and there's already been some whispers about about people you know in the program or just people who've been able to watch them in practice mm-hmm. saying like yeah, this defense is going to be for real again. I know you lost great players, but, like, watch out. This defense is just crazy talented. And, like, this is a good chance to set the tone. It feels like, uh, you know, the Marlin, excuse me, the Montrevious and Carl Lawson years, and you've referenced this, but even, like, on a higher note, because then it was like, man, are they going to be able to replace 
those guys on the line. And then it's like, yeah, actually, they're some of the best players you've ever had. And then it's like almost even more daunting because it went from this expectation of the defense just not being very good to like, oh, they, they held their own there under this transition and to steal. And then it's like, oh, he's sustaining it. All right, how sustainable is it now mm-hmm. without your perhaps, you know, certainly with Brown, the best ever to do it? Um, I, I'm not very worried again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I am. I, I, I wouldn't be super worried. I'm just saying like that's the met. Like if Kentucky wins, yeah. it's because they it's because yeah. they, they, they find ways to, to hurt Auburn's defense on the ground because, again, I don't see the passing game being fantastic. Again, this Kentucky, this Kentucky offense line is going to be one of the best Auburn faces all year, and it's week one. It's going to be weird. It's an 11 o'clock game, all that stuff. Let's see how it all goes there. Before we move on, Painter, we got to tell the folks at home about the good people at homefieldapparel.com. I know some of you have already taken advantage of uh, Big News Saturday from a couple weeks ago and bought your Auburn gear. Some of you are already getting it in the mail now, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, If you haven't bought it yet or if you just want to buy another round, if you want to buy another round of Auburn gear, there's a lot of good stuff on there at homefieldapparel.com. Premium vintage licensed collegiate apparel. And like we said earlier this month, they launched the Auburn brand and, and some of the some of the best on there. I mean, I can tell you there's there's a pair that I have that I have like physically held. <laughs> the Sonny Smith Air Auburn basketball t-shirt is sweet. And uh, number two, the you know, the, the, the shot of the, the the angry looking tiger with the A behind them on the sweatshirt. They're sweatshirts. I know it's getting a little bit cool it's a little bit cooler. Some of you are fans of like I'm a hoodie guy myself, and I know some of you out there are more of the sweatshirt. You're kind of that guy, guy big as well. sweatshirt guy. I did get some hoodies this weekend. Shout out to Homefield for making all that possible. But I am a sweater guy. I'm known among my friend groups as being a, a connoisseur of sweaters. That isn't true at all. But I do really like to wear sweaters. I like to pull my sweaters up where I'm high, you know, mm-hmm. and have the shirt pulled down under it. These are very comfortable. They're very stylish. If any of my friends are listening yes i've purchased some sweatshirts so hey you know maybe you should do the same and you can get on my level you can get on painter's level my question painter is do you have the obby the side eye obby i haven't ordered that one yet but i'm saving it it's on the christmas it's list, on the christmas actually. list so i've got like... uh, i've got someone in the uh in, in the apartment here that's not you that i'm hoping will uh will bring yeah, that me. to me it's not me it's not me but yeah they... sleepy obby the uh yes sleepy side eye whatever we want to call them um always had a little fun uh, recently, I, I, I he was tailgating. He was enjoying Auburn's win over Kentucky. Jacoby <laughs> McLean, in fact, did break out in Game One. Yeah, and uh, the softest T-shirts, the highest quality that you're going to find. Trust me, folks. I'm wearing a I'm wearing a T-shirt right now of Homefield. I'm my, shirtless. This is my official. Well, he, no, he's not shirtless, but uh, he probably wishes he was. I do. Um, you're you're not going to find it any softer, better quality. I actually, don't. Shirts. I wish I was wearing a Homefield shirt. That's it feels better. You're about to. It feels like, better to wear a home field shirt than to be naked. Yeah, that's a good point. That, 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 they're that, that comfortable. That, they're that comfortable. And stylish. And stylish. And if you go to homefieldapparel.com, put in the promo code OBSERVER, you get 20% off of your order. Tested it out. It works. Sick. Connor, our boy, our boy has come through for us big time. We really appreciate it. Uh, him, uh, uh, you know, helping us out. Connor O'Malley started Homefield. <laughs> really... I'll, I'll tell him you said because I know Connor from Homefield is a Connor O'Malley fan, of, as, as as everyone should be. But yeah, that's homefieldapparel.com. Get yourself a sweatshirt, a hoodie, a t-shirt, all that from your Auburn stuff. And 
If you're a fan of another school or have a tie to another school, you want to check that out as well. I know our boy Josh Vitale, the first guest in Auburn's oh, Ever wow. Podcast history, he's got some, he got some Maryland stuff. Did there. he get some Terps oh, stuff? Yeah, okay, I didn't know if there. he would do that or not. I All know right. some of you out there are Georgia Southern people. Um, yeah, there's, interesting there's crossover. Really Georgia, I guess a lot of people from Atlanta, maybe. Is that what the deal is? There's some Georgia Southern stuff on there. I mean, there's there's a lot of if you go to a if you went to a little school or have some sort of connection to a tiny school. Good chance Homefield's on there. I know an Auburn Butler connection. They've got some Ooh. really cool Butler stuff on there. Check it out. Homefieldapparel.com promo code Observer will get you twenty percent off. Painter. Want to wrap up today's show by talking a little bit more fun stuff from Auburn and, and a little not so fun stuff on the football side. We'll talk more later in the week about this Auburn Kentucky matchup. The midweek podcast episode will be free this week. We will switch over next week. But Auburn in the NFL. Cam Newton. 444 yards of total offense last night. Best game of the weekend, too. At least most exciting game. He uh, he went toe-to-toe with Russell Wilson, and uh, Russell Wilson was just on fire. Very quietly, like, the second or third best quarterback in the league for the last few years. I mean, just... It's weird, like that he doesn't get talked about more, and it's starting to like because I know everyone knows Russell Wilson's a good quarterback, but I don't think people are paying attention to the fact that he's like very quietly just one of the best every well, year. And he's so consistent. Like yesterday, we saw Mahomes kind of get off to a rough start, and then you know he had his he big did the M- thing that you expected him to do. He had his big MVP year, and then he had a kind of a quiet year the next year, and Lamar Jackson got all of the of all of the acclaim, but like. Russell Wilson, I would say, is like that consistent number two. It depends on what day of the week it is, is whether Lamar or Mahomes is kind of the guy on top. And I know in years past you could have said the same thing about like Breeze or Brady or something like that. But, you know. Well, Wilson doesn't have an MVP, right? And yeah, I think never been. Uh, they were talking about it last time on the broadcast. Like Collinsworth said, he's never even gotten a vote. See, for and MVP. I, it's interesting. I guess some years it just like matters. And Collinsworth said he would have voted him for MVP last year over over Lamar. And I guess part of it's like just who are you going up against that year? Like when yeah. you're having one of your best years, are you going up against someone like Lamar Jackson or Mahomes yeah. who are putting up these record breaking numbers? And it's like easy to get forgotten mm-hmm. about. At some point, longevity has to matter, right? That he's just yeah. consistently this dominant and has done it at times. It's like. You know, dang, Seattle, can you guys help him out? And, like, they're <laughs> starting to, right? Like, they, they've right. got a better offense around him than they used to. Yeah, DK Metcalf is, like, the perfect fit for That's him. That's incredible. And I, and, I am, and I am a Seattle fan-ish. Like, I, I've said it. Sort of on the periphery, there's right? Like a, there's, like, a dozen teams in the NFL I like, but if I would say, like, the one I like the most is, is I've, I've, been, I've been converted <laughs> into a Seattle Seahawks fan. Uh, but, yeah, DK with the best deep ball thrower in, in football has been great. But more to Cam and more to the, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, what, what what Auburn fans want to hear. Um, the 444 yards in his second game with the Patriots. And this Patriots offense, like, does not have a ton of weapons. Um, Sonny Michelle looks slow now. Like, that was weird. Um, really, really, I mean, I guess anybody who knows the story can at least, can at least talk, uh, at least is aware of it. The thing, not having James White last night, what happened there, um, just horrific. And I mean, prayers for him and his family, and just every everybody who was affected by that, because that is just a horrifying thought. But if you're taking it in context of losing a game literally on the last play, like having James White might have helped, not necessarily on that play, right? But throughout the duration of the game. By the way, that play was like. It was the right call. Belichick said after the game, we went with our best play. You know, they he had been he unstoppable. He a yard, and you have Cam Newton. And he had been unstoppable to that point at the one. It's just, it looked like it looked like Seattle 
They played was, it perfect. They, they played, played it perfectly. Perfect. They had they had they did the couple of things they needed to do to cut that thing down where they did and we all knew it was coming. I just didn't think Seattle was gonna stop it. By the way, it's that funny did, those that, guys get paid too. Like those guys it's get funny paid. Funny well. the, the last time these two met in a high stakes game where we were all watching that I remember anyway, maybe yeah. it wasn't the last time, but it's the one I remember is the Super Bowl and different outcome because Seattle's inside the five trying to score, but they throw it gets picked off, and everyone says, why didn't you run it? You had Marshawn. You had the perfect running back for inside the five. Well, the Patriots run the ball on the one, and people are out there saying, why didn't you throw it? Why didn't you let a tight end <laughs> slip out? And it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, what else? It was, I thought they were about to call a jump pass. Yeah. That and, was the play call I, I had in mind. And I get it. Like, if you wanted to slip someone out, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But I have no quarrel whatsoever with See, just saying really just well. saying your 10 versus our 11 and our 11th happens to be cam newton like we're yeah. gonna we're gonna block you guys and we're gonna trust him to be better and you know what kudos to seattle they just they, they won that play he had been unstoppable to that point inside you know the, the, the five yard line and they just played it well like it was the one time out of like seven or eight times if you were a seattle fan did you think that it was going to go that way like no way you thought oh, oh like no. no way you thought we're going to no, stop this no, play no, no, no. if it's like if, if they if he keeps the, ball, thought the dagger was coming yeah i would have if i was a seattle fan i'd be like god i hope they throw this and it's just like a bad pass or something yeah and and instead it was just a really good play for them but cam 444 yards like i said like it's unreal that he was doing that second, in the game. second game second game with it with a supporting cast is not nine. good like, I think on its best day, like, if you think Nikhil Harry and Julian Edelman are really good at this point, and, like, you know, Edelman was a Super Bowl MVP, but he's still the number two. If they could trade for Allen Robinson, who desperately oh wants out of, out of Chicago at this point, um, I think that would be that would be phenomenal for, for a number of reasons, but... And, like, I'm not trying to slander Edelman. I'm no. just, like, he's. I think he's just a good number two. Right, exactly. So, I mean, he's the, he's that slot guy that, that, that you want. Um, there were... There was a conversation that was ha- happened on Twitter Sunday night about like Cam and the Panthers. It, like it never looked quite this easy with the Panthers and people were like, well, they called the same play with the Panthers. There were Panthers fans who got upset about that, and and I and I get why. And Auburn fans that were kind of like hammering on like, oh, he's finally got up. My thing is, is like every front office decision that like I don't quarrel with the strategy. Like Cam Newton was putting up crazy numbers in in Carolina, kind of like right now, just without a ton of weapons around him. They were calling the right. I don't really have a ton of problem about the strategy. My thing with Carolina is always was we're seeing Cam Newton off an injury past 30 years old. What is he doing now? He's got an offensive line that can eat. Like that is one of the best offensive lines in football. And it never felt like he had even an average offensive line in Carolina. And so it's, it's perfect for him in the stage of his career because he's not as fast as he used to be. He's not quite as strong as he used to be. He's still very fast and very strong for his size, especially for his size. It's just, yeah, like you'd like to be able to lean on your offensive line a little bit more and not have to ask him to be an insane person. He threw the ball really well last night too. Like he just like, and I know a lot of people were man. He's got a strong arm. And people were like saying, "Oh, he's washed. He's done. You know, his 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 shoulders are screwed. He'll never he'll never be able to play like that again." He threw the ball exceptionally well. And I also just I'm, I'm I'm of the opinion that you know just with a just with a number one receiver that can really do some do a little bit more damage, they're in business because running backs 
whatever, like just rotate them. Like they're, they'll they're, find they're a hot faceless. hand. Like yeah, I mean between like I, I know you referenced Michelle not having a great game, but like between he looks slow. Yeah, what like happened? when yeah weird when White's back. Yeah, and you know and and I don't know much about JJ Taylor, but like Belichick, McDaniel's, they'll figure it out to be good enough. Yeah. The offensive line is good. They're Cam just out strategying a lot of people. Yeah, they, like you said, they could just use a little bit of help at the skill position. And then the defense, I mean, they're playing Russell Wilson, so I won't hold it too much against him. But like that's that, the offense looks Yeah, really it's, it's going to be a good – that's going to be a top five, top ten defense this year. Um, the other thing, just with New England, you just would rather see at this point in his career, I know we want to see them get another weapon and, or maybe – like what if they play? What if you play with the stat cast? Like what Brady's playing with now in, in in Tampa Bay? But I would argue it's like put Cam behind an offensive line that can block well for him, and he just never really had that to me in Carolina to the level where you're like, oh, you know this, you know he's gonna be a problem. As the older he gets, the more you want to invest in that offensive line. So yeah, I mean I think I think New England is gonna end up being a really good fit for him, and you know he played a really really hot team last night and uh, a defense that. He had a lot of success against, but made the right plays at the right time down the stretch to get the win. C.J. Uzama, though. Heartbreaking stuff. Had a touchdown. Had a touchdown. Burrow's first career touchdown pass, I believe, because I think he had a rush earlier. But I think it was his first touchdown pass. He goes to Uzama. Uzama also torn Achilles out for the season. I mean, brutal because, as we were talking about earlier, it looked like he was going to be in line for a huge year. Just a huge year, especially with – the creative things they were doing on offense with Burrow and like Uzama can you can move him around you can do a lot of a lot of different things with him and then you just, you just get real I mean it's just sad it's just sad it, yeah there's no way to put it other than like you hate to see injuries and then like the timing of for it. anybody yeah but the timing of someone who's seemingly rounding into form at the peak of probably their athletic there career so many injuries yesterday in the NFL Saquon's out for the year McCaffrey's out for a few weeks yeah. but like Kittle's the list the list is a lot longer out, like, than that yeah I mean it it sucks uh, half no of the half of the San Francisco 49ers are hurt <laughs> which seems to be a thing that's happened a couple of times the last few years yeah I. It sucks for everybody, but like I also think about this point. It's like you just sat through a pandemic, and you trained so hard and did all the right things to get to the point. Like the NFL, yeah, uh, for the second straight week, no positive tests among players, which is unreal at this point that they're pulling this off in the way that I was definitely a lot of skeptical. Still being yeah, I mean yeah. the way I watched the bubble succeed. I couldn't help but feel like, man, if they're not going to commit to that, it's going to be hard to get through and yet four months working. of football. Yeah, right now it's been a lot of fun and it's working. And, and so you go through all that and you keep yourself ready and prepared and then you get this opportunity and just have it snatched away from you. It's just really, really tough. And we, we talked about it. CJ's such a great guy. He's one of the one of the best dudes, I would say, that I covered during my time at Auburn. And, you know, I just hope he, hope he bounces back. Yeah, he, he was. He gave us back to what he was. He gave us time on our previous show because he was yeah. promoting, you know, some nonprofit cause, right. basically. And so, anyway, like, just shout out to him because I know I really want to see him come back. I thought this was going to be perhaps the brightest year of his career to date. Quiet day for uh, for for Darius Slayton, but I mean, you live by Daniel Jones, you die by Daniel <laughs> Jones. Uh, Carlton Davis got picked in 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 their game. Did the he box. get banged up? Did he? At one point, I was afraid when I was listening to the broadcast that he had to go out of the game. I think he did for a little bit, but a big pick at the time that it happened against Carolina and Tate Bridgewater at this point. And I, and I think we can also just say, um, you know, all the sad stuff that happened and losing down the stretch like that for the Panthers. I mean, for the Panthers, for the for the Patriots and Cam Newton were tough, but um, it's a lot better than being the Atlanta Falcons. 
Whoa. So what do you think the deal is with Dan Quinn? I don't really care that much to get involved in Falcons talk, but, like, do you have to fire him at this point? Because, uh, I mean, Falcons fans are certainly ready for it. Listen, those guys stood there and watched that ball. They can touch it. That was like weird. Like they like they can go like they can go touch it. Like that that you know they don't know somebody told them that they couldn't do it. So the fact that <laughs> the fact that you have a special teams coach probably telling these guys the wrong thing is unreal because they just sat there and watched it. That well, was just go weird. get the thing. Go get it. Like that's it was it was it was bizarre. Well, and, you know we're all, all also thinking like man, not only did you have another bad twenty point collapse, I guess what was it? 24 last time i don't remember 28 to 3 but like i don't know i don't know know what to do like i was speechless because i I didn't watch that game but only team to put up that much that that many points in a game with no turnovers and lose we saw the score driving back and we're like well that is awful and then we saw the score when the game was over and i just stopped paying attention because i was like all right the falcons are going to surely they won't do this again yeah and then we were talking about, oh, man, the Cowboys are about to go on two, and, like, that would be that would be crazy. Given, yeah, given what they've paid Zeke and all the conversations about Dak and, you know, sure. Yeah. So. Um, Sorry, Falcons fans, but I am laughing. Yeah, it's, it's real Sucks bad. Sucks for y'all. It's real bad, for sure. Uh, wrapping up today's show, appreciate everybody listening uh, to the podcast. Again, we'll have another episode later this week talking a little bit more about this. Kentucky matchup. Painter, did you see uh, the Travis Williams new freestyle? I did. Um, not surprised, but still impressed. The line he's got where he talks about Tyree Kill is real good. <laughs> it is real good. Um, I also enjoy uh, uh, MC Gus Malzon giving him the proper intro as uh, T. Will comes up there to just absolutely shred. <laughs> when he put the hood on, he put the hood on he like, oh boy, here we go. Um, yeah, people forget that the man was a rapper by trade before he got into coaching. Like somebody was like, wow, he's really good. And I'm like, and like everybody who knew him, like, yeah, he was good. Like that's what he used to do. <laughs> it ju- wasn't just doing it in his spare so, time. It's not like when, it's not like when Herb Ham would do it and be like, ha ha, it's funny. He's, <laughs> he's a large white guy doing the raps. It's like, no, this is a dude that like, that was Travis Williams career after he, after he, you know, left the NFL. So, um, but it's, it's, uh. It's fun to see them having a good time. That's going to be referenced so much, and that's going to be in so much recruiting info. Like, like they're gonna. It's a pitch. It's a pitch. You got to always be recruiting, and every time you put anything on video, you're you're projecting it out, and Auburn fans are having fun with it. Maybe we can get too well to like do an intro for our. Well, that would never happen. But. I don't know, man. If uh, maybe that will, you know, if he's if he's got some spare time, uh, maybe not this football season. I have to wait. I think he's probably a little busy right now. But yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know for that. Close. Meet the threshold. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I meet the threshold for podcast intro at this point. Personal personal <laughs> rap from 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 Travis Williams at this point. Appreciate everybody once again listening to the podcast, our reserve podcast. Again, wherever you listen to your podcast, we've got you covered there. You don't have to just listen on the website, but um, hope, hoping to get on Google Podcasts very soon. Um, maybe that'll be done here real shortly. Armreserver.com, uh, read the film room, read the mailbag from last week, the observation from last week of practice. Got more stuff coming up this week as we get ready for Auburn and Kentucky. Another mailbag on Friday. Uh, any questions you got about that matchup, send them to me. It's time. At, tw- at jfergusonau on Twitter or email them. Uh, that is in the bio on Twitter that you can find real easily. He's at Paint Sharpless on Twitter. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you can do that for the podcast. Uh, the the amount of love we've gotten so far has been phenomenal, and we appreciate every single one of you 
for jumping on board. Remember, you got one more week, and then we switch over to a paid format, but you'll still get one free podcast a week. And maybe some posts every now and then, but you're going to have to be able to get behind the paywall to keep this going, because Payne and I have to pay bills and like have, a, have, have some sort of living by doing this. Um, anyway, that'll wrap it up. Payne, are we ready? Thanks, guys. Glad you're back. Yes, sir. See you.